0: Please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 37. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 11. Genesis 37, verses 1 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors." But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold... Your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, how marvelous that you would work out in real history with the lives of real people just like us who went through real moments just like ours. As we see how you worked in the Old Testament, might you open our eyes to see your saving purposes for us even in these older texts and make our hearts pliable, soft, and ready to receive from you by your spirit and word word, working together this glorious good news that Jesus saves and then he sets us apart and equips us for every good work. For it is in Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen. I don't know if you all got that commercial around here when I was living up in New Albany and Tupelo and that part of North Mississippi, and I don't know where this car dealership is, but The guy always ended with, I'll give you the best deal regardless. Did y'all ever hear that commercial? Anyway, maybe you didn't. But he always ended it with regardless. So what is meant by regardless? Well, in this sense, in the way this car dealer was saying it, which means you should probably trust maybe a little bit, but verify. Sorry for any car dealers out there or whoever dealt cars. Sounds like dealing drugs. Anyway, we're moving on. Regardless puts the deal in this case in a league all by itself. It's the best deal. No qualifications. I will give you the best deal. Well, God says in this passage that truth, no matter where it comes from, is just like that. Truth is truth regardless. When I used to do... um, Uh, abstinence, sexual abstinence uh, classes for the high schools in Tupelo. A lot of the guys, of course they separated guys and girls, and a lot of the guys would come in, and of course I had to break through some of their defenses, and I know that they wanted to keep finding, but can I do, can we do, can we do this? And they're always trying to find an angle. And I would tell them, look, reality is reality, no matter what you think. I may think in my head that I am Superman, right? And if I said, hey, congregation, I'm Superman, and I'm going to go out here on Highway 51 and wait for the logging truck to come by because I'm going to prove to you that I am Superman, and I'm going to stand here and stop this truck. Does it matter what's going on in my mind, what's going to happen here? No, it does not matter what's going on up here. A lot of our culture needs to hear this today. No matter what you're thinking up here about yourself, that you have an identity of this, like you're a tree or a she-wolf or a woman, and I'm not saying that to make fun of people. I'm saying it. Trust me, there are 300,000 of these uh, new quote-unquote gender identities. It doesn't matter what you're thinking up here. The truth is the truth regardless. So who mediates that truth? Do you, do you, do you, do me, do me, I don't know if I said it. whatever. Should I, should you, no. We need a transcendent eternal being above us that has been able and he has been able to communicate and by the way, inerrantly communicate to us through errant people, through sinners who wrote this Bible and there are no mistakes here, no mistakes whatsoever in this word in the original autographs that were made, the original writings. There are some copying errors that have happened over time, but we have tons, trust me, we have tons of documentation that we can correct those errors fairly easily, regardless of what liberal Christians want to say, quote-unquote Christians. Okay. But what this passage tells us is that God's at work to remake his covenant people through focus on his truth. So how should God's covenant people, God's special people that he has bound himself to, you and me, through Christ, through the blood of Jesus, how should we respond to God's truth? The central point of this passage is we should trust and obey God and his truth regardless of the vessel's righteousness, rank, or rankling that he gets into. First of all, We should trust and obey God's truth regardless of the vessel's righteousness. And the takeaway from this is when we see someone else's righteousness, we just might want to compare and contrast instead of trying to slam that person because they make us feel bad about ourselves. Now, what I want you to note first in the first verse is that we we have a focus on Jacob right here. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings. In the land of Canaan, I just want to reiterate, like I've reiterated so many times, and I want you to get this, that, that Christianity is grounded in history. It is not just a bunch of teachings and principles. Real things, God worked out his plan of salvation through real events with real people, just like you and me, image bearers of God who are fallen sinners and have done foolish and pathetic things. Just like you and me. And he's worked it out, not just in history, in the abstract, when we like, oh, we've got to memorize dates and whatever. No, look at what it says. He lived in the land of his father's sojournings. That land is important because that land was promised to Abraham. Abraham, remember, walked throughout the land. That was, he was enacting God's promise, even though he had not had full possession of it yet, and neither does Jacob here. It's on the ground, it's down to earth. It is gritty, it is practical reality that God has broken in, and he is working it out right here, and he's working it out right here in this congregation. He's working out his plan of salvation. Now, it is in the land of Canaan, and what do we know about Canaan? Canaan was the son of, of Noah uh, sorry, grandson of Noah, the son of Ham. When Ham disrespected Noah in Genesis 9, Noah cursed Canaan. So they have a special curse on them. Now, that doesn't mean that they're locked out forever, because we're all born under a curse. Okay? But God is going to patiently put up with them until it's time for his people to go in and take their land. And then it says this phrase that we've seen over and over again try to remember these are the generations of this is this means what Moses is saying is we're going to turn and we're going to take a turn in this story. It's developing. We're moving into the next phase. And from this chapter on to the end it's almost with one little intervention or not intervention one intervening text right in the next chapter after 37 but still important to what we normally call the Joseph story. Everything's going to be about Joseph to the end. But I want you to put yourself in the, in the spot of Joseph's brothers here because they have the biggest story arc to go through. Okay? Because this is a major turning point against the backdrop member of that boring chapter just before this. Wink, wink. I hope you, it's not as boring as it would have appeared when you first came upon it with all those lists of Esau's descendants. And they were basically a good group of guys, all right? I mean, good in the sense of how we—you know they didn't cause too much trouble. They did cause some trouble down the line for Israel, but not as much as other places and other peoples, okay? And at that time, they, they weren't causing too much trouble. Esau just left and got away from Jacob. But he was seed of the serpent nonetheless. That's, remember, we're going to go back to Genesis 3.15, and we'll go there in a minute. That's the interpretive key of all Scripture. We're dealing with now seed of the woman. okay? And we see Joseph's righteousness here. He is a boy in verse 2. At the end of verse 2, he's a boy of 17 years among men. Remember, he was Rachel's firstborn. There were a lot of children of Leah and now Bilha and Zilpah, the, the guys he's hanging out with here. The children of all those, Bilha and Zilpah, were um, uh, Rachel's and uh, Leah's, uh, Jacob's other wife. They they, they were his, her servants, her maid servants. So look at what it says in Genesis twenty five twenty three of what it means to be the younger in all of this, how the Lord kind of works. It's kind of weird. You expect the firstborn to get, to get all the stuff, but Genesis 25:23, and the Lord said to her, meaning Rebecca, two nations are in your room, and two peoples from within you shall be divided, which is Esau and Jacob. We just talked about that. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. This is not normal. Okay? And so in the midst of this, we have the younger kid coming to bring a bad report to his father about Bilhah and Zilpah's sons, which I think are Gad, oh I better not name I think Gad, Naphtali, Asher, and I'm missing one. Anyway, but remember what Reuben did with Bilpah This Reuben was Jacob's firstborn son. Look at Genesis 35, 22. While Israel lived in the land, meaning Jacob, that was his new name. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now Joseph is the oldest from Rachel, but he's still very young. And we might want to throw rocks at him for being a Tattleton. We don't know exactly what these boys were doing. But we have a tendency when someone's more righteous than us, we have a tendency to feel, oh, don't they think they're up in there? Oh, yeah, they're holier than thou. Sometimes that could be true. But we better check ourselves. We better compare and contrast when we run into people that are more righteous than us. Because that's true. Now, granted, we are as righteous as we will ever be in Christ with the credited righteousness. But we are growing in that, into that righteousness as well in our daily lives. Because look at how young Jesus was when he was in the temple. He was 12 years old at this point and look at what he was doing. Luke 2, 46 through 47. After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. He was just 12 years old. Truth is truth regardless. Now, it's not normal for a 12-year-old to be this insightful. That's true. But if you hear it, you better listen. 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no one despise you for your youth, Timothy, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love, in faith and purity. You see, if we see someone more righteous than us, we just might need to compare and contrast and ask the Lord to help us to grow. God's at work to remake, his co- to remake. He's remaking us. It's a process. His covenant people through focus on His truth. How should we as co- God's covenant people respond to God's truth? We should trust and obey God's truth regardless of the vessel's righteousness nor His rank. We might not think someone deserves the rank they have but God's word tells us that he sets the authorities in place. So we might just need to check ourselves a little bit. Now, look, Jacob assigns Joseph this high place in verse 3. And we know that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, Genesis 29, 30. So Jacob went into Rachel also. You have to know a little bit back, or you all remember the wedding. And Laban gave Leah first to to Jacob and then he was surprised to find her and he said, I'll work another seven years and so he gave, I'll work another seven years for Rachel and he gave Rachel, he was supposed to give Rachel first but the deceiver got deceived. Jacob, <laughs> the deceiver got deceived. And he loved Rachel more than Leah, look at that, he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban another, for another seven years. Joseph is the oldest child of Leah, Benjamin the youngest. And it says he was the son of his old age, which means more than likely there are several several ways to take this. We're not totally sure. But I think the context of this text seems to be pointing to the fact that Jacob recognized leadership potential in Joseph as well. I mean, if you look at these brothers, and you see how they fly off the handle with, with the situation with Dinah and murdered all those people, I know, we're talking about, is this the seed of the woman? Yeah, yeah, God's at work, believe it or not. It makes us long for the one who will be the true seed of the woman, who is Jesus. And so Jacob recognizes uh, Joseph's leadership potential, because Reuben can't be, Reuben is his firstborn, and he just can't be what he did with Bilhah, his father's wife. Okay, we're not saying that you can marry many wives. God's just being very patient with these people. And the other brothers are violent, so it makes sense that he would, would uh, make this special designation, give him this great, spectacular robe. Um, remember, when Jesus was baptized... Immediately he went up from the water, Matthew 3, 16-17. Behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Jacob looks at Joseph and says the same thing. Twisted as it might be, yes, a little bit of favoritism that probably messes things up for his family. But nonetheless, that's what he's saying. And look at Joseph's brother's reaction. The reaction I want you to put yourselves in, hatred. Now, I remember when I first became a Christian at age 16, right before that, my my cousin had just converted. At least he said he did, and he was talking about Jesus. And I I was listening to him, and I, I remember my heart going, I wish he would just shut up. He's driving me crazy. We're not this kind of religious people, and this is making me feel really uncomfortable. Well, what was going on in my heart? Well, look at Jesus diagnoses it perfectly. John 3:19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Sin makes you stupid. It makes it harder for you to see the truth the more you engage in it. That's what this culture doesn't understand. That's why we're seeing the insanity that three years ago we would never have contemplated any of these thoughts that are showing up in the news now. Sin makes you stupid and it doesn't take long to do it as it does with these brothers. It says they could not speak peacefully with Joseph, meaning not so much even as to greet him doesn't that sound like the cancel culture of the I just heard that a certain uh, political pundit showed up at a, at a podcasting convention in Dallas and there was someone there that didn't like them and they said that they felt unsafe and it was dangerous. And all he was doing was taking selfies and saying thank you and God bless you. And his mere presence was dangerous and then the group that, that had, they, they had their own booth there, the group that uh, put on the whole event said, um, we are so sorry. This basically said, this is the worst thing we've ever done. Just because the guy showed up, took a few selfies, said hello, thank you. People were saying thank you for what you do, and he said thank you very much, and he left. Insanity, sin makes you stupid. You can't even see the truth because you're so caught up in yourself, in your own darkness. Look, we should expect these things. This is the norm, folks. We've had a good reprieve in America because of the Bible's influence on this country. But this is the norm of the world, what we're seeing. This is where the world goes. John 16, 33, Jesus even told us, I said, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, or trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So I'm leaving you here, you're going to face trouble, but don't worry, I'm with you. I am Emmanuel, I'm with you. So that we got to watch it even with each other. Look at what Paul says, this is what the brothers were doing with Joseph. But if you bite and devour one another, Galatians 5.15, watch out that you are not consumed by one another and isn't that what cancel culture is? And it's, by the way, people that are advocating for canceling certain other people are now eating each other, because that's the way it works. Because it turns into king of the hill, last man standing. That's where all this will end up if we don't have a check on it and the Bible needs to be that check. So when we see someone given a certain rank because someone happens to recognize it and they have some wisdom, We might just need to check ourselves if we're feeling that they don't deserve it. I've been here longer. Well, qualitatively, you might not deserve it, or you might. But God set this up. God's at work to remake this, what he's doing through all of this. This is why this is so important. God's at work to remake his covenant people through focus on his truth. How should God's covenant people respond to the truth? We should trust and obey God's truth regardless of the vessel that it comes from. In this case, it's Joseph. Regardless of the vessel's righteousness, rank, or the rankling. Now, he does say in the telling of his dreams, he uses the word behold several times. So he's a little young, and he knows what the dreams mean. And he might be a little bit like, You hate me, but I'm going to rule over you. He might be doing that. But we might just need to wonder why this is when we run into something like this. Joseph's brothers' hatred grows even more. What can we say? That's all they got. Same thing's happening in the world today. So he has these dreams, and when he tells them, there's, verse 8 tells us that the brothers have even more hatred. It's like hate, 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 hate. You're gonna reign over us, you're gonna rule over us. Well, look at Deuteronomy 33, 16. This is actually what was said about Joseph's descendants. With the best gifts of the earth and its fullness, and the favor of him who dwells in the bush. This continuation of the sentence, may the rest, may these rest on the head of Joseph, on the pate, which means another word for head, of him who is prince among his brothers. Joseph was seen as prince among his brothers. So that's what he truly was. Joseph was recognizing him for what he truly was even though he was this young kid. First Chronicles 5:1 says the sons of Reuben the firstborn of Israel for he was the first one born but because he defiled his father's couch his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph the son of Israel so that he could not be enrolled as the oldest son. So the Bible's confirming all of this, see? And the hatred just grows. And we see, we should know that, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. What is enmity? It is mutual hostility. Now, that doesn't mean that we're always going around looking at each other going, It could, and one day it just might. What it means is is when push comes to shove and I have to find out who I ultimately value and they're asking for names on the list from a government authority which has happened in history and I need to either turn over names or I need to go to the gulag myself and go through whatever they're going to put me through, what am I going to do? We'll find out who the seed of the woman, true seed of the woman and the true seed of the serpent really is at that point. So I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the gospel in the most seed-like form it could ever be. That there is coming one who is going to crush all this evil around us and he's going to do it in one fell swoop on that cross. That's where Satan nipped him on the heel and right at that spot where he got bitten on the heel Jesus was stomping on his head. And while he's walking around, he's got a head wound, so he's, got, he's kind of mad as a hornet right now trying to destroy things. And that's all he wants, really, is just destruction. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Jesus told us. But I have come that they might have life and life more abundantly. So Joseph dreams another dream, and in Genesis, this double dreaming kind of thing means that this is a sure thing. It is the truth regardless. Look at 40, Genesis 41:32, And the doubling of Pharaoh, Joseph is talking to Pharaoh at this point. We'll get to this later on. But the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Now, Jacob rebukes, he, he, he admonishes, he corrects his son or tries to by saying, hey, look, or, you're talking about me and your mother coming to bow down before you? Now, we know that Rachel has died at this point. So probably one of Jacob's other wives possibly served as Jacob's, uh, Joseph's surrogate mother at this point. But look at what it says at the end. At verse 11. And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. You see, when you see something so weird and so strange like this, like Jacob just saw, you might just need to ask, I wonder what's going on. I wonder why this is happening. Look at what Mary did when she heard the shepherds talk about her son Jesus. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. You see, this has always been God's way to humble us and to make us pliable like melted wax, to actually consider that a child might lead them. Look at Isaiah eleven six: The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. True, we should not put children in charge. But if God's doing it, it's okay. You need to to stay open. You might just need to wonder why. We need to humble ourselves and turn and become like little children because truth is truth regardless. Don't be like John 3.19 like I was when I was listening to my cousin hating every word he said. No, rejoice in John 3.17 Look at what it says there. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. You see, God's coming to you in good faith, offering to you the salvation that is in Jesus by His authority. Not something we make up in our heads. This ain't, that's part of the reason why we got to meet together, folks, because we look around and we see other folks that believe the same exact thing. It's not something we make up in our heads. Because what's up here is inconsequential unless it's True. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Because truth is truth regardless. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, You have given us truth in a world full of instability, which the lies of the devil have brought forth. Help us to see Your kind intentions toward us in Your saving and your sanctifying work for us in Jesus. For it is in Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen.